All right, let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is a sermon about pressing on, pressing on to know Christ and his resurrection power. Where are you pressing on to in life? Some people are pressing on with great energy and great focus and perhaps you know some of them or perhaps you are one of them. Perhaps uh, you know people who are pressing on towards getting ahead. That is, they want good marks, a good job, maybe they want a promotion. Perhaps you know people who are pressing on towards getting the good life, whatever that looks like for them. They, they want to rack up some experiences, maybe they want to go travelling, maybe they want a relationship or to get a house, to have a family. They want the good life and they're pressing on in that direction to set themselves up in it. Perhaps you uh, know people who are pressing on towards a better tomorrow. You know, there's wrongs to be righted, there's minds to be changed and hearts to be won and there's a society to be reformed and perhaps you or people you know are pressing on towards a better tomorrow. By contrast, you might know people who don't seem to be pressing on anywhere really. Maybe they're quite uh, content where they are because they feel like, oh, I'm happy, I've arrived where I want to be, so I'm just going to sit here. Thanks very much. Or perhaps you know people who aren't really pressing on because they're kind of stuck somehow and can't find a way to press on. They're stuck in some situation and they don't know how to go on. Our life in this world, in all these ways, and might call us to press on in one way or another. But what about our life in Christ? Is there a call to press on? And is there a way to press on as Christians? Today's passage says, yes, there is. There's a call to press on and a way to press on. And in this passage, Paul continues what we began last week, which is his personal reflection on the heart and the character of the Christian faith and life. And if there's one bit out of this passage I'm going to choose to highlight here tonight, it's uh, perhaps the second half of verse 13 and verse 14, where Paul says, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. So that's what I want to look at today. And I've got two parts to my sermon. Firstly, forgetting what is behind. And secondly, straining towards what is ahead. And so let's take those in order. Firstly, forgetting what is behind. As Paul sees it, an essential aspect of running the Christian race, of living the Christian life, is to, in a sense, forget what is behind. And if you were here last week, you'd know that Uh, One thing that Paul is certainly saying, I'm forgetting about all that, is uh, all the reasons he might have had and used to have for having confidence in the flesh, that is, confidence in himself. Uh, From last week, we might recall, Paul wrote, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, In regard to the law of Pharisee, 
As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. All this Paul could have remembered and kept before him as the things which gave him confidence. But he says, no. Because there's, as Paul sees it, a fundamental conflict between keeping those things in your remembrance and relying on them and putting your confidence in them and the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ and knowing Jesus means forgetting those things and leaving them behind. Verse 7, which was from last week, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. The cross of Christ is the destruction of all human spiritual self-confidence, all confidence in the flesh, in a couple of ways. Firstly, when we recall the story of Jesus, when the Son of God came and lived among us as one of us and went around healing and teaching and calling people to repentance, firstly, generally speaking, human beings failed completely to recognise him for who he was. And secondly, not only did we fail to recognise him, in fact, we envied him, we hated him, we killed him. And even those who did have a a sense of who he was failed to stand by him. They did not understand him. And so if we want to give the human race, our human flesh, if you like, scores for qualities like spiritual insight or spiritual receptiveness we might say we score a big fat zero. Spiritual virtue, spiritual courage, zeros as well. The cross of Christ, the fact that when Christ came, we put him on a cross, is the destruction of our self-confidence in our own spiritual qualities. But secondly, the cross is the enemy of human spiritual self-confidence because the cross says this cross And the one who died on it must be your only hope, your only plea, your only confidence, your only righteousness. You can't add to it, supplement it, have alternatives to it. You can't hope in your own church upbringing. You can't hope in your your good life. You can't plead, I'm a decent person, I've got a good heart. You can't rely on your capacity to keep God's commands and to do what he requires can't stand up before God and rely on these things. You must rely on the cross of Christ, the one who died for you, because you were unable to raise your head in God's presence. You were unable to be who you, you should be. Paul says to live out of spiritual self-confidence is the opposite of believing in the cross of Christ. And then to teach others to put their confidence in their own moral performance or their own religious observance. To do that is to be an enemy of the cross. It's to work against that message. It's to undermine it and contradict it. And so Paul says, and we know that he he is warning the Philippians in this passage against dangers. And he says in verse 17 to 19, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Who is he thinking of? Well, the commentators often say, and I agree, that he's still thinking of those people he warned against at the beginning of chapter 3. Look out for those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh. That's who he has in mind. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ, the Judaizers who taught that Gentile Christians needed circumcision, needed to become observers of the Jewish law in order to get all the benefits of Christ. And Paul says that that way of going about teaching, that addition of law-keeping to faith in Christ, that is to be an enemy of the cross. And so those people, they're heading for ruin. You don't want to be following them. They're satisfying human appetites, actually, when they teach circumcision and law-keeping. Right? Their God is their stomach. which you know, the, st- the stomach there stands for human appetites, human desires. Human appetites can be, you know, coarse, like another donut, please. But they can be kind of more refined, like the human appetite to establish our own righteousness. The human appetite to justify ourselves and be able to say, I'm all right, I'm good at heart. That's an appetite too. And Paul is saying, even people who sound like they're talking about higher spiritual, heavenly and godly things can in fact be feeding a lower appetite, the appetite to put confidence in the flesh, to justify ourselves. If anyone's saying, here's what you can do to satisfy God, just tick these boxes, just here's what you can do to attract God's blessing into your life, here's what you can do to learn to accept yourself just as you are and know peace. If, if that is going on apart from the cross of Christ, then it's really likely about <laughs> earthly things rather than about God's heavenly kingdom. It's really likely more about how I can be content and successful here and now on earth. It's more likely that it's about that rather than about how I can press on to know God and to know the kingdom of which the cross is its foundation and symbol. Paul says... Forgetting what is behind. That is, I am forgetting all those things which I used to rely on and remember and trust in. My Jewish credentials, my religious commitment, my disciplined law-keeping, all of that I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting who I was, what I might have thought was good, what I know now was bad. I'm forgetting it. It's behind me. That's not where I'm looking. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So at this point, we might ask ourselves what we need to kind of forget and leave behind and stop looking at and remembering and bringing up and relying upon. What are we tempted to rely on? What do you pat yourself on the back and say, well, you know, I'm a... I don't know how you fill in the, the blank... I'm a donor to cancer research. I'm an environmentalist. I'm a Rotarian or a church counsellor. I'm a mentor of young professional women. And so 
because of what I am and what I do, I'm one of the good people. I'm on the side of the saints and the angels. Now, it is good to do good. It is very good to do good, but it is bad to rely upon our goodness before God. Before God, we must rely on Christ and his resurrection power. And so that's forgetting what is behind. Let's go now to straining towards what is ahead. Again, verses 13 and 14, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize. The image is of Paul as a runner. He's racing. He's pushing towards the finishing line and the reward that lies at the end of it. And the reward is to know Christ and his resurrection power. I want to know Christ, he says in verse 10. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Knowing Christ and his resurrection power is an unfolding experience for the Christian. It's to be perfected only at our own resurrection. And so Paul says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That is to say, Jesus Christ has taken hold of me for resurrection. That's what he has for me. And so I press on to take hold of resurrection. This resurrection will be the gift of Jesus at his return, as Paul says in verse 20 of our passage. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. There's the Christian hope, which is the hope of resurrection. Not the hope of flying up to heaven as blessed spirits, but the hope of living in the renewed and healed new creation. Of having bodies transformed from from lowliness, from frailty, from mortality, from being subject to death and decay, transformed into glorious and imperishable human bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, 49, Paul writes elsewhere, Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. As we say in the creed, I believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. There is the prize, the hope, what we've been taken hold of for resurrection, new life. But then how, how do we strain towards this goal, this end? How do we press on? To look at this, I want to look at verse 10, where Paul writes, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his, in his death. Or we could say being conformed to his death, which is to say, having my life shaped by his death. 
That is, if you like, the way to press on. That is the road that we run to reach the end. That is the course of the race that we're racing. To be conformed to his death. And what does that mean? Well, we did see the shape of Christ's death back in Philippians 2. And so if I can refresh our memories by reading Philippians 2.8, we read there that being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And in this humbling and obedience to death, Jesus took on the form of a servant. And so what is the shape of Jesus' death? It is the shape of a humble act of service in obedience to God. So what does it mean to be conformed to Jesus' death? It means that our lives become like that. They breathe that spirit, the spirit of a humble act of service in obedience to God. And so to press on in the Christian life, to strive towards the goal, is to strive to make our lives humble acts of service in obedience to God. This is how we strain and race and strive and press on. We humble ourselves. We cast off our confidence in ourselves and in our flesh. We become obedient. We seek to learn, what is it? That pleases God. How does he want me to live? What would he have me do? And we learn to pursue it and to do it. And we become servants. That is, we look not just to our interests, but to the interests of others. And and we give our efforts and deploy our resources for the good of others. That's what Jesus did in his death. And if we're going to strive to be conformed to his death, we're going to make our lives Breathe the same spirit. The spirit of a loving, self-giving for others. So, when we go back to that original question, what are you pressing onto in life? You can say, am I, am I pressing on really to get ahead? Am I pressing on to set up the good life for myself? Am I pressing on just to build a better tomorrow and so I can consider myself one of the good guys? Or have I realised there's more, actually, to consider in where I set my hopes and what I strive for? That Jesus Christ has risen. And something heavenly has broken in and there is a better prize to be pursued. A goal beyond this world's tomorrow. That God has called you and me heavenward in Christ. He has laid his hand upon us for resurrection. There's a saviour who will transform both the world and us in a glorious yet unseen manner. And he will perfect his creation and he will perfect his salvation. So... Will you press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of you? Will you forget what is behind? 
Will you strain on towards what is ahead, becoming like Christ in his death? Will you strain to live humbly, obediently, a life of service? Press on. Press on to know Christ and to know his resurrection power. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ has taken hold of us for resurrection. That he has called us heavenward that we might have the life that he has, resurrection life. And so, Lord, we pray that that would direct our strivings in this world, that we would press on towards that end and that goal, that we would shape our lives as Jesus shaped his, in humility, in obedience, in service. And as we press on and strive in this way, we would come to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Help us, Lord, to forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead with joy and hope. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.